0: And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This is God's word. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Uh, It's good to to be able to reflect on it and to know that we're being uh, led and guided by you, uh, that we're not just looking out for ourselves and trying to figure out our own way, Uh, all of us competing as to which way is best, but you provide your word to us. It's a lamp uh, to our feet, a light into our path, and I'm grateful for that. And I pray that we would see uh, this theme that's uh, emerging from your word this evening about discipleship, and that as we continue to study it throughout the year, that you would unify us in our methods of discipleship, in our view of discipleship, and uh, in our in our conviction uh, that we are to disciple and that we're called to this and that we're equipped for it by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, as I've said a couple times, we're going to focus on discipleship for the year of 2020. We'll take a couple breaks. Um, we're going to stop for Easter um, and just kind of look at the, the Easter narrative for a little bit. Uh, in the summer, we're going to go through some psalms. Um, right before uh, the election, we're going to do a little bit of a political discipleship section, which is really discipleship, but we're just going to tie some of the ones that, like some of the ideas from Romans and stuff like that, that would shape the way you would think about politics. And it's uh, going to be different, uh, but hopefully it gets you thinking and kind of, uh, you know, we hope that you go out just with a little bit of a different lens uh, as you go to vote and just to be thinking like, How do I, as a disciple of Jesus, engage with this? We won't be giving you any answers, uh, but hopefully giving you some ways to think about it. And uh, we're doing this because uh, we kind of feel like it was needed. It was asked for uh, here at the church. It came up in a members meeting that there were curiosities as to what kind of uh, discipleship uh, we were going to do here at the church. It's been a, a discussion several times. And so as we, as elders, kind of planned ahead for the year, we thought, hey, why not? Because really, the Bible is a discipleship book. It, that's really what it is. Why don't we just explore the Bible under this theme of discipleship and just try to, try to really entrench our whole church in what does the Bible say? And, and to do that as a community when we're all together uh, versus doing it in some kind of small setting so that we're all hearing the same thing and hopefully being uh, shaped in similar ways. So just to jump in. Um, when I think about discipleship, in my life, names come to mind for me. Not curriculum, not books. And I love books. Like the bookshelf is my thing, right? And I am always reading a book and trying to get somebody to read a book. Um, Curriculum is good. I've done lots of curriculum, but people In my mind, when I really reflect back on discipleship in my life and what it's looked like, it's people. And I've talked to others uh, here and elsewhere, and I usually hear a similar thing. See, uh, like a book might have given me an insight, but the book doesn't know me well and can't walk with me in my unique situation. I've heard and, and experienced, I mean, have you ever taken a class where somebody said, this class is so good? Like, this, you got to take this class. And you take it, and you're like, yeah, that was okay. And what's the difference? And a lot of times, the difference is the person who taught the class. Like, how many, I've done traffic safety school too many times, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a few too many times. I seem to be on a really great Rhythm though, where like right after my two years where I can take it again, that's when I get the ticket. It's like, okay, at least this isn't going on my record. But one of those times, I had a great time. I'm serious. Like this teacher was hilarious. And I was actually like, that was an okay way to spend a day. Other times I've done it, hated it, right? I was just like, please just take my life. Any, whatever, just get me out of here. Um, but it's usually, I've noticed, even with a class, even with a book, it's your connection, your connection to the person behind it or your sense of connection to the person. So for me, though, it's just people. And so here's a few. And there's more for me. There's, there's so many because I think discipleship happens kind of in spurts. Sometimes there's a person in your life for a week and you realize they've taught me something, right? Right. But for me, some of the key ones, and a lot of you know this because of my, my journey over the last couple years and the little book I wrote, but probably number one on my list is Leroy Littleton, my dad. Probably number one. And the interesting thing here is I just discovered in doing my book project that my dad discipled me. Like, I don't think I would have called it that before. And I don't think anybody else would have called him a discipler, and I don't think he thought he knew how to disciple. It took me reflecting back to realize that is exactly what happened. Why is it that a lot of the things I teach and I do and that offend me, and they come from this person who shaped me, who I walked with? Another is uh, my friend's dad, um, Winston, who you've many of you have heard of probably 20, 30 times if you've been at this church for the last couple years. But Winston was my friend's dad, and he hired me at his bookstore, Christian bookstore, and I got fired on Christmas Eve. That's the short story. Um, And then I, you know, kind of got humbled by this. Uh, It took a little bit. At first, I was just mad. And I showed back up in his store, and I apologized, and his face lit up, and he threw his arms around me and said, I was hoping this would happen. And he brought me back on, and then he became my pastor, and then my first probably really uh, official-looking ministry job was because he got it for me. And so that's another person I would say uh, discipled me. Um, In recent years, our friend Rod, if you follow our Instagram, he's the one that seems like he's always saying really terrible things to us. Um, And uh, we we take those right out of context, and it's awesome, you know, like... That was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Or if you ever say an idiotic thing like that again, I'm going to take out your knees or whatever things it looks like he's saying. And he does say them, but they come across very loving to us for some reason, you know. Uh, it's like he really cares and we can, we can tell. But uh, in recent years, Rod uh, has taken me to breakfast. It's been like five years now, almost every Wednesday. And, uh, and he started bringing Nick and John and now we've got a friend, Thomas, He's kind of got this little group, and we're not the only ones he does that with. He does that with people from other churches uh, as well. And and this church just bears the fingerprints of of Rod. I I, I can't even tell you how. I mean, just so many decisions that have been made here that have run through his filter. And all of those men that I just mentioned who discipled me all very imperfectly have one thing in common, and that's following Jesus. And the most profound moments of discipleship, I think, from all of them would be when they followed Jesus in their life, sometimes in regard to me specifically. I'll I'll tell you a story about my dad that some of you have heard before a little bit later, but that one was aimed right at me, and I learned something really specific about Jesus in it. Or sometimes just things that you get to observe, and I'll tell a story a little bit later about Winston, and something that I only heard about, I didn't see but that really made something in the Bible like click for me and helped me to see it. And in these moments, in moments like these, doctrine, which that, you know, heavy sounding word simply means the teachings, doctrine is taught, I believe, in moments like that. So here's my, here's my thesis for the year. What is discipleship? Following someone who's trying to follow Jesus. There you go. Discipleship, following somebody who's trying to follow Jesus. Now, I want to work that out for a minute from the book of Mark. So Annie read to us from Mark 1, 16 to 22, uh, which is this, this statement um, about the authority of Jesus that his early disciples saw within him. He called them to follow him. They did, and they observed his authority. I'm really kind of drawing from Mark 1 through 3, um, especially and. and in a way, the whole book of Mark, um, but I want to I want to work this idea out for you before I give you some examples and a caution. But um, so, Mark, who's that? Mark was a disciple and a friend of Peter, we believe, and he knew Jesus most likely. We 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 think we know quite a bit, as long as we're not you know a little bit off. But most likely, he knew. Jesus and was there from early times. He might have been one of the 70 people that Jesus sent out. Um, His house seems to be a place that kind of popped up. He's definitely very active um, in New Testament moments. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a man who runs away naked from the scene when Jesus is being arrested, and we think that might have been Mark. Okay. Um, So he knew Jesus, but he wasn't an apostle. And he definitely knew. Peter, who was an apostle. And to be an apostle is really to be one of this small group. Jesus handpicked 12 people and gave them extra responsibility, really. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of people that followed Jesus at various times, and he handpicked this group um, of the, the closest ones, and he, and he gave them extra responsibility. And Peter was one of those people, and Mark was close to him. And Peter, as we know, Tried and often followed Jesus. Sometimes not so well, right? Sometimes he cuts off an ear when he shouldn't have cut off an ear. Um, Sometimes he denies that he knows Jesus when he shouldn't have done that, right? And sometimes he tells people that they're free in Christ, but then teaches them that they have to follow the law so that he doesn't get himself in a weird social situation and his buddy Paul rips him to shreds in front of all his friends. Sometimes in Peter's life, that's what happened. And interestingly, the Bible records it all. Like if you're trying to say like, Peter is the most amazing man in the world, well, the Bible kind of went, no, not exactly. His friends didn't represent him that way. Mark didn't represent him that way. The book of Acts didn't quite represent him that way through Luke. But he definitely was entrusted with a lot by Jesus and followed Jesus in incredible ways. So Peter, we believe, preached and Mark listened and went along and observed Jesus and, and wrote the Gospel of Mark. And they were both, when you read the Gospel of Mark, obviously struck by something, and that is the authority and the power of Jesus. So in the Gospel of Mark, it feels like it's moving very fast. Like when, even when Annie read this, it's like immediately, immediately, immediately. And it's, it's and, and there's these huge moments of like power, authority. There's a lot of demons that get cast out. There's healings, and it's just, it's dramatic. It's very dramatic. And clearly, these are moments that stuck out in the, in the mind of Peter and of Mark that really just showed who Jesus was. He had power. He had authority. He gave his authority to these 70 people that were sent out. When he is about to be you know exalted and raised up he hands his authority and gives it to his disciples all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me right he says and peter is gifted with some really amazing and hard to believe stuff i mean he he did some of the supernatural stuff that jesus did in the book of acts people are brought to him and he's healed tabitha's namesake also known as dorcas or tabitha i'm sure i'm so sorry for the fact that that's probably happened to you but but she's raised from the dead right like that's an amazing moment like that peter gets to initiate liars who come up to him who say they gave everything and they didn't you know are struck dead i mean this is pretty nuts this is like why like this is incredible this looks a lot like jesus but it was never quite on jesus's level and it always had to be in jesus's name right I mean, Peter didn't raise from the dead. Peter didn't walk on water. Peter didn't do anything in the name of Peter. And then think about this what did Mark do? What did Mark do? Like, he wrote, wrote a gospel, but what powerful, supernatural thing did Mark do? I mean, I can't really find much. There's a legend. Um, that thousands of years later in France, there was a, a slave who wanted to get away from his master and went, want, wanted to go see the remains of Mark. His head is in one like chapel and his body is elsewhere, which is kind of a bummer. I wish they would get together and put him back together. But there's, there's this legend that he was trying to go see the remains of Mark and, was, and people were trying to kill him, and that Mark from the dead thousands of years earlier descended and kept him alive you know, we don't think that happened, right? Seems to be a little bit more about like assuring that he was a saint um, in the Catholic tradition and the power of the church and stuff like that. But let's say he did it. Let's just say he did it for a second. This is still nothing compared to Peter. Peter raised somebody from the dead, it says. Not Mark. So Mark wrote this gospel, one of the first he was a leader in the early church. He probably founded the church in Alexandria, which is a really important uh, church. He was important enough. He discipled people enough that he was martyred. He was dragged through the streets twice, and the second time he was dragged through the streets, he was he was killed. So somebody thought he was making a big enough impact that they wanted him silenced. But he didn't get the signs and the wonders or any of that. So how did he disciple? How did Mark disciple? How did Peter disciple with less authority and power than Jesus? It seems to kind of ratchet down pretty quick between Jesus, Peter, and Mark. And the answer is, Peter and Mark discipled by pointing people to Jesus. That's what they were doing. Peter in his power, Mark in his gospel. Look at Peter, uh, arguably the most influential apostle in his most influential sermon, the one I referenced uh, in Confession and at the beginning of the service, um, Acts 2.22. What is Peter all about? Just ask the question. What's Peter's big thing? He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he quotes the Old Testament. David says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life, and 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 you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter said, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He both died and was buried in his tombs with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven But he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, who you crucified. And the people asked him, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone who the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. Who's Peter all about? Jesus. A God through Jesus, right? Jesus is the key to forgiveness. Jesus is how you get the Holy Spirit. Jesus is how you change. And Mark, who is Peter's disciple, what was he all about? We have one magnum opus from Mark, one book, and it's the life of Jesus. And it highlights the power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus and people's need for God mediated through Jesus. So Peter and Mark, their big thing, and what they want us to do is to follow Jesus. They seem to tell us almost only about Jesus, tell us to look at Jesus, to repent and to trust Jesus and to be shaped by the teachings of Jesus and to live out of the forgiveness and help that Jesus gives. Okay. Now, nothing's changed since then in regard to discipling. If you want to disciple people, and all Christians have that role. So if you want to know who's the discipleship group at Mission Church, it's everybody. Okay? You're in it. And if you're a Christian and you go somewhere else, you're in it too. So there you go. You disciple people by showing them Jesus. Not yourself, not life hacks, Jesus. If you want to be discipled by someone, look for people who will show you Jesus and follow them. Ask them things, watch them. And of course, you yourself, whether you want to be, if you want to disciple or be discipled, you will need to be paying attention yourself to Jesus, the one who has authority, or you're going to miss the point of discipleship, and you'll be doing something else. So, Who leads the discipleship efforts according to the Bible? You do. Awesome. Every disciple of Jesus has been given the commission. So in the Bible, right, at the end where Jesus is, he's about to go, and he's going to give us the big thing. Here's what you're going to do. He says, go, make disciples of all the nations. Teach them everything I've commanded you. That's kind of all there is to it. And the go, I think, often gets misconstrued. So here's a Rod-ism. If there's one thing Rod has taught us, it's to tell the same story like a thousand times, okay? So I'm learning that from Rod, and I'm doing it more. That's why some of the stories I'm telling you today, you've heard before, see? We We gotta work them in. Here's one that Rod works in all the time. He'll say, when Jesus said go, it wasn't like every once in a while. It wasn't like, hey, sometimes... If you get some funding or you feel really, really motivated, go. It's not that. The assumption behind that word is that you are going somewhere. Like, you're going to go. And as you go, here's what you're going to do. Make disciples. So as you go, make disciples and teach them to do what I taught you to do. It's not, it's not a maybe. It's assumptive. You are going to go. That's, your life is going. So publicly, privately, by osmosis, go. Because that's what Jesus' followers do. If you follow Jesus, you are leading other people. That's, That's what happens. That's what always happens. So guess what? You're already discipling people. We don't even need to have this talk. You're already doing it. Like, you didn't know it maybe, but you are. That's what's happening. You, by extension of trying to follow Jesus, if you are, are discipling everyone around you by showing them how it's done. And so you need to take that into consideration. What do you teach? What do I teach? There's no such thing as just hanging out with friends if you're a Christian that has nothing to do with discipleship. When you're hanging out with your friends, You are in a discipleship relationship with these people because you're following Jesus and they're paying attention. There's no just going to work. It's not like I have my Christian walk in which I do things and then I go to work. No, you're a Christian working. There are people around who are watching a Christian work. You are discipling these people, right? See where I'm going with this? There is no delineation. There's no difference. There's no time when you're just hanging out. There's no time when you're doing anything as a Christian that isn't like ministry. There's not. So you're going. And on your own behalf, if you're choosing who will disciple you, I mean, look for who you're around. And if you want to be discipled, You want to look for people who are following Jesus and get around them. Look for the most trustworthy people you can find. Look for people where their actions and their words, like, are pretty continuity. Like, there's continuity between their actions and their words. Just look for that and, and be with them. Follow them. Go with them. They're usually doing something kingdom of God oriented or saturated to some degree. Their work life is going to look a little more, you know, oriented toward the kingdom the way that they talk to people, the times that they spend, the relaxing relaxing things they do, there's a level of kingdom of God meaning to it. So go with them and watch and participate. Read what they write, listen to what they listen to, eat with them, travel with them, be with them, invite them over. If you spend most of your time following people who aren't trying to follow Jesus, even if they're in Christian circles, you won't be discipled much. But if you spend time with people who are trying to follow Jesus, you'll be discipled more. That's how it goes. Do you gather together with believers like this? I think yes. This is a great place to bump into those people. This is a great way to do it. Pastors in the Bible are given a job, and our job is to equip Christians to disciple people. And so, you know, Nick and I have been talking about some of this stuff for two to four years with this group, which is great. We're trying, we're trying to put some stuff out there, so take it out. That's, that's the idea. Now, what if you don't know how to disciple? What if you're hearing this, you're like, I don't know how to do this? What if you feel like you aren't very effective? Well, you're right? Right? you're not that effective. This is true. Neither am I, by the way. This is one of the big reflections I've had of like after seven years of being a pastor is like I'm not really that effective. It hasn't been that incredible. But you're wrong. You're also wrong because people don't need experts and people don't need a second Jesus they don't. People just need someone who knows where Jesus is and how to try to follow him and how to repent when they fail. That's like one of the biggest tools in the toolbox is how to confess and repent when you fail. And you don't have to be that good. Do you need to be learning things about Jesus? Absolutely. Do you need to read some stuff? Probably. YouTube is there if you can't do it. and that's, That might work, I, I think. I don't know. Mike's a big proponent of YouTube, so you can talk to him. He'll tell you where it all is. Um, But we do need to just be actually trying to follow Jesus. And if you're actually trying to follow Jesus, you're probably actually going to do a way better job than you think. Okay, I want to give you a caution and then four examples. Um, We can only follow Jesus and not be Jesus. I know that sounds obvious. But I I think there's a pitfall. Um, You know, think about this extra level of authority that I described in the book of Mark that Jesus had. It was far greater than Peter's and how when you step one, step down to Mark himself, like he didn't really have this extra power. And I think we're more like Mark where we tell people about the authority of Jesus and we push people to encounter Jesus even though we aren't carrying a lot of the, you know, extraordinary stuff in and of ourselves. So it's not not surprising that we, our churches and our people, don't help people change as drastically as Jesus did. I can't, I don't know your heart. You know, Jesus, like people came up to him and were like, hey, I want to follow after you. And he, knowing their heart, said this, I can't do that. You know, I really can't. And neither can you and we can't command authority like Jesus did. We're not people's saviors, but I think we can try to be people's solution. And when we think that our significance only comes if we are people's solution, I mean, being, whether that's your children, if you are their solution, whether that's your friends or the other people in the church that like, did I not come through for them because they didn't follow Jesus? You know, I tried, I, I put everything out there we are not their solution. And on the flip side of that, if if you're looking to somebody to be your solution and somebody's just not, you know, you're like, I'm so disillusioned because the Christians don't act like Jesus. Like, can I just say once and for all that they don't act like Jesus because they're not even close to Jesus? And some of them are really struggling right now and like they're really in need of God's grace. And that's why they're letting you down. You don't need the Christians. You need the savior of the Christian. You need Jesus. And to put that on somebody or to try to be that to somebody else, like I'm the solution, that's a savior complex and it's, and it's selfish. It's really more about you than about Jesus. This needs to be about pointing people to Jesus. We need a savior. And so what we want to present to people is not ourselves as the great example, but we want to present Christ and humble dependence on him. And that's compelling. Our little slogan for the church is broken people giving grace, given grace, serving others. And the reason we chose that is like, that's not all there is to us. It's not that all we are is broken. Of course, we have a lot of great things to offer, but it's, Something that we need to be able to admit. <laughs> we need to be able to say, we are, we are broken. But then that given grace idea is and, and notice, you know, not getting grace, given grace. it's being given to us. We're, we're humble, we're dependent, but God's given us the riches of God in Christ. And then serving others is just innumerable ways of exhibiting what it means to be shaped by grace to point them to the God who gives it to us. So beware of discipleship as a savior complex. Many people you walk with won't follow you or Jesus. The same was true of Jesus, by the way. Like, look at his life. Not everybody was convinced and they won't be by us. And that's not because you didn't save them. So what's our responsibility? We're gospel carriers. Look at Peter's sermon. Look at Mark's gospel. We Tell news, good news, gospel is just good news, and we know how to do it. I know we know how to do it. I don't think one of you doesn't know how to do it. And why is that? As a new album comes out, you tell your friends about it. There's a great play, you know, by the Warriors the other day against the Rockets. You're telling somebody about it. Um, well, one of us is right. If um, there's a great book. We're talking about it. A great new game, video game, board game. We know about it. Online store. Check it out. Climbing spot. There it is. We do that. That's all it is. That's what you do. Right there. And how does that work? It's you tell people about things that you think are good. That's what you do. So we're shaped by what we believe is good and we follow what we think is best. The whole like not doing things side of Christianity, all the things you avoid, is really just a byproduct of doing what you believe is best. Like it's not really about rules, because those are there just to help you see what's better. So our responsibility is if we love Jesus is to pay attention to Jesus and be shaped by Jesus and see the good there is in Jesus, and thereby, when you do that, people will see that you do that, and if they emulate you, they will be following Jesus and influenced by Jesus and hearing about Jesus. Because if you believe Jesus is good, you will speak about him. Right? Now, that's abstract, I know, sort of. And I'm hesitant to make it too practical, but I'm going to give you a few examples to lay on the plane. Number one, here's something you can do. When you go to look at Jesus, invite someone to do it with you. Like, do you read the Bible? Invite someone to read it with you. You could do that. I used to, I used to read the Bible with this kid named Chase, um, and we would sit down. And one time we were reading the book of John, he was a pretty young kid. We were reading the book of John and he would just like get shocked at stuff. And I loved watching it because he never read any of this. He was like, dude, this Jesus guy is weird, man. Like, yeah, (laughs) this isn't normal stuff, right? Like all I had to do to get him to see Jesus was sit there with the Bible and read it with him. And he encountered Jesus in ways I hadn't encountered Jesus. It was awesome. And that didn't solve his, all his problems. I actually lost touch with him for a long time. But he got back in touch with me, and he was like, I still have the Bible. Would you ever read it with me again? That's just months ago. It left an impression. Um, ask how your actions, number two, could be shaped by the gospel. By the gospel. By the gospel. I mean, I mean the, like, God enters into our situation, suffers and dies so that he can give us mercy, okay? How can our actions be shaped by that? You're having a bad day at work. How does the fact that God has treated us this way shape the way that you would treat somebody else? It's a great question. You have to hire or fire somebody. Man, Tim Keller tells a story about this lady who was, she, she did a terrible thing. She really messed up in his church in New York, and the boss took the blame for her because he knew he could bear it, and he let her off the hook for it one time, right? And she went to him, and she was like, why did you do that? And he kind of like was like, yeah, you know, just don't worry about it. You're fine. And she pushed, why did you do that? And he goes, look, I've been going to this church, and they're talking about how Jesus bore what we, should, what we deserved, Okay. And so I thought I could offer that. And she said, where do you go to church? And she showed up at Redeemer. Discipleship. This guy didn't think he was doing it, right? Tim Keller didn't reach this lady. He did. Responding to a family member you don't understand. How, do you, how did Jesus respond to people? It wasn't always just nice either, by the way. It wasn't just, it's not as simple as just like, Hey, it's cool. No worries. Like, it was love but truth. We talked about this over Christmas. Truth and grace are, ooh, that's a tough combo. But you can be shaped by the gospel. You're going to get a beer with some friends. What would a gospel-shaped trip out to the bar look like? Jesus went to parties. How did he engage, right? Was he unrecognizable? Was he distinct? How so? Think about it. Your kid's doing something you don't like. Here's where my dad's story comes in. I've told this to many of you, but I'll tell it again. It's just one of the most profound things my dad did as a discipler. We were at Bookman's. I'm really into, like, urban culture at this point in my life. There's a movie on the shelf. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. I had seen this movie before. I wanted more of it. I wanted everything it had to offer. And I picked it up, and I was like, "Uh, Dad, uh, can I get this? You know? He's like, let me see that. He looks at it, and you know, he's going, hmm. And I was like, Dad, it's really good. It's about these guys. Like, they're kind of poor. They don't have a lot of stuff, you know? They like, there's like some cars and some like, stuff they do with their friends and stuff like, you know, leaving out like tons of details, right? And, uh, and he goes, okay. I'm like, yeah, sweet. So we, we had walked to Bookman. So the whole walk home, I'm just like, my dad doesn't know, and I am so smart. And I'm going to see all kinds of rad stuff. And anyway, we get home, and, um, and he sits down, and he goes, let's watch it. I was like, no, that's cool, that's cool, I've got, and he's like, well, your mom's not home, now's a good time, why don't you pop it in? Ah, oh, shoot. This was the most painful hour and a half of my life. <laughs> and, but my dad, here's the thing, he just sat there, and when I look over it, he wasn't mad at me, he looked sad. He looked like his heart was a little broken. Like, my son loves this, and at the end, when it, the movie stopped, he looked over at me and he said, you think we should go ahead and return it? I said, uh-huh. Like, there was nothing I wanted more than for this movie to be gone. And it was because it didn't fit his presence. It didn't fit my dad's presence. It didn't belong there. And I felt the discomfort of that And what dawned on me years later is that is what it's like to sin in the presence of God. It's not that God's up there going, unbelievable. Again, look at you, you stink. It just doesn't fit his presence. It grieves him, the scriptures say, right? My dad exhibited that. He never explained it, but I felt it. And when I read those things in the Bible later, the feeling I got corresponded to what the scriptures were saying, right? Number three, stand for justice and love mercy and face the tension. I just mentioned this in a way. I have an example from Winston. Um, if there's two things our world continues to seek, it's justice and mercy. And we don't know when to do which. We don't know where the line is. And... Um, Winston, when I was working at the bookstore, after I got hired back, um, well, first, he made me investigate someone who was stealing from the store, and he coached me on how to do it. Oh, it was painful. And I caught him, and I had to let him go, and I had to be kind, and they said terrible things about me on the way out the door, and it was awful. And then, a couple years later, they realized that another little drain had been coming out of the store for years. Somewhere to the tune of a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think, after it was all said and done. And it was the bookkeeper. And they had to fire her and confront it. And it was painful because this is somebody who sat in the office for years, right? Fellow Christian. Like, ugh. Ugh. And they had to deal with it and face it and do all the, the research and fire and all of this. And then when she was sentenced, and I wasn't there, but Winston, and this is like the talk of the, the talk of the business, is he stood up and he said, Your Honor, I know it is your job to execute justice, but I want to ask you to have mercy on her, please. And he didn't tell him how to do it, but it just, we all were just floored. Be shaped by Jesus. When faced with circumstances, attempt to respond as Jesus would, and you will disciple people. And then give people your time. This is what we've learned from Rod, especially. Jesus came and lived with us, he, he gave a lot, but one thing we often forget is just how much time he gave. Even when he was tired, Rod sits with us. Every Wednesday, and he does this with other people, and he tells us his stories often multiple times. We run all our crazy things by him, and he says all those things that sound so terrible on the Instagram back to us. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you know? And we go, okay, why? Tell me that. Yeah, tell me about it. But man, he just gives us time and time and time, and he brainstorms with us, and we don't always agree with him, but he always is there the next week, every time, over and over. And all of us have learned so much. And get this, you have time. You do. You do have it. It's just, what are you going to give it to? And this is where it comes out. What is good? What do I love the most? That's where your time goes. And when you give it to Jesus, he's almost always going to call you to invite someone in. You have kids? That's okay. People can still come over when you have kids. Sometimes other people with kids and you can stick your kids somewhere and you can have a little bit of a conversation, right? That works. You can do that. Or bring a person in who doesn't have kids but likes kids and let them hang out with, their kid, with your kids and hang out and talk to them. This is very doable. You have stuff. You have a lot of stuff to do. I have a lot of stuff to do. Take people with you. You can do stuff with people. This is the easiest one. Do you eat? (laughs) Eat with somebody else, right? You're doing it and you're already doing it, aren't you? Like, think about it. You're doing stuff with people. You're eating with people. Great, you're discipling. So wrap your mind around that and give it some thought. Repeat, repeat, repeat. If you're following Jesus and you're doing stuff like that, then you'll be discipling people. That's what discipleship is. Maybe imagine this table as a metaphor for discipleship. Jesus is everything at this table. What do we present to you? Our church, mission church, broken for you? No. This is my body, Jesus says, broken for you. We're not offering you anything great we can offer, but Jesus says, this is my blood. It was poured out for the forgiveness of many And then he promises, the next time I drink wine with you people is going to be in glory. The wedding supper of the Lamb. So Jesus is the one waiting for us at the end. Jesus is the one forgiving us. Jesus is what all of this is about. But for us, we come to the table and we affirm our faith and we feed on Christ. We remember him and we tangibly partake of him and say, you are the bread of life. You are my salvation. People are watching your life. That's what you're doing in your life. That's the center for the Christian. And people see it. And you can invite people to do what you do. And maybe they just follow you halfway here and then they go, not quite yet. That's okay. That's fine. One day they might follow you all the way to Jesus. And one day they might follow you to Jesus over and over and kind of watch how you do it. So today, if you believe this, come and feed on him and think of this as the metaphor for what you do. As you see other people walking, these people are watching. These are your friends. You disciple each other. Think about it. A disciple is someone following someone who's trying to follow Jesus. And only you can show what it looks like for someone like you to follow Jesus. And people need to see that. And that's what discipleship is. So all who believe, come to Jesus and receive him by faith.